0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are Locked On Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is Crossover Thursday, where I will be joined by Locked On Bills host Joe Marino to preview this upcoming Week 17 matchup between the Falcons and Bills. And before we get into the preview of this Week 17 matchup, we're going to talk about the host of names that are now being put on the Falcons reserve COVID list and how that may impact this weekend's matchup.
1: You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.
0: So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP still going strong on Twitter at falcfans and of course the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is, of course, a crossover Thursday, where I will be joined by the host of the Locked On Bills podcast to preview this week 17 matchup between the Falcons and Bills and talk about the ways in which the Falcons may be able to pull off the improbable upset. Uh, And before we get into crossover Thursday with Joe, we are going to be talking about the recent slate of names added to the reserve COVID list and how that's going to potentially impact this matchup and whether or not the Falcons are kind of at their limit in terms of what they can deal with, with players potentially missing this weekend's action on the COVID reserve list. But before we get into all of that, I want to thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify. And uh, you can also find Locked on Falcons free and available on YouTube as well. So make sure you go to the Locked on Falcons YouTube channel and make sure you hit that thumbs up. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a comment. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. I'm sure plenty of you will tell me what I'm doing wrong uh, on the Locked on Falcons uh, YouTube comment thread. But uh, let's jump into sort of the news of the day with the Falcons adding four players uh, to the reserve COVID list, bringing their total of uh, to 12 guys. The four players that went on the reserve list on Wednesday were Jalen Hawkins, Hayden Hurst, uh, Jonathan Ballard, and Willie Beavers on the practice squad. They, he, those four guys joined Richie Grant, Marlon Davidson, Tyler Davidson, uh, Brandon Copeland, James Waters, Tajay Sharp, Dorian Ethwich, and Felipe Franks. Uh, so, you know, I, I think with the, the new protocols, uh, believe that if you're asymptomatic or whatever the case may be, you can basically clear the list in five days instead of 10 days uh, as it used to be. And and that applies to both vaccinated and unvaccinated players. And we know that the Falcons players at least – We believe that all the Falcons players, unless they pulled an Antonio Brown, are all vaccinated uh, and and lied about it. So we we should be good there. And and so that means basically once these guys clear their symptoms, hopefully many of those guys will clear their symptoms, uh, they'll be ready to go. But that probably puts them in jeopardy to play on Sunday. Uh, Maybe some of these guys could come back by Saturday or whatever the case may be, uh, particularly the guys that went on the list earlier this week. But I, I look at these names and I think, you know, these are not necessarily devastating blows. You have several starters like Jalen Hawkins. Richie Grant has been splitting reps with Darren Hall as the nickel cornerback. You have Tyler Davidson, et cetera. Ty J. Sharp has basically been the de facto number two receiver with Calvin Ridley, you know, out of the lineup. But I think for the most part, most of these moves, the Falcons. Have options to replace these guys. You know, Jalen Hawkins could potentially be replaced at safety position by Sean Williams. As I mentioned, Richie Grant uh has been splitting reps with Darren Hall at the nickel cornerback spot, and you still have Avery Williams as an option there. So you should be okay, at least in terms of bodies. Again, we can have a conversation about whether or not the, the guys that are replacing these guys are as good as the guys they're potentially replacing. But I think overall the picture is you're not going to have to completely revamp what you're going to do this Sunday against Buffalo. Hayden Hurst has been primarily utilized as a blocking tight end although he did make a couple of nice catches this past week against Detroit but so you're not necessarily looking at his traditional role each and every Sunday as drastically different than what Lee Smith or Parker Hesse if he gets elevated to from the practice squad uh, does Taquan Graham has stepped in nicely for Marlon Davidson the last week or so Tyler Davidson has been by and large you know every other week is being replaced by either Anthony Rush or Mike Pinnell already. Um, Jonathan Billard is potentially a-, a blow. Maybe you move John Kaminsky from outside linebacker back to defensive line or maybe bring up someone like Nick Thurman off the practice squad. Kaminsky could be in the mix to replace either Copeland or Walters at the outside linebacker spot if he's not in the mix at D-line. And then you could potentially bring up another practice squad guy like Quentin Bell or whatever the case may be. And of course, Tajay Sharp can be replaced with Alameda Zacchaeus who's already been sort of the number two, at least earlier in this- Season before Sharp overtook him. Um, and then, of course, that means guys like Christian Blake and Frank Darby can be ex- expected to step up. and and potentially get more opportunities on offense. And then you have Felipe Franks being replaced with Josh Rosen, lateral move, no offense. uh, And Dorian Etheridge and Willie Beavers were already on a practice squad, so you're not necessarily losing those guys. So I I think the Falcons are probably at their limit in terms of what they can deal with. They had one player in Marlon Davidson put on that COVID reserve list last week uh, when the the rest of the league was dealing with many, many players, dozens of players, uh, 20-plus in in the cases of some teams. And it looked like the Falcons were going to avoid this sort of recent – slate of, you know, Omicron or whatever uh is is the thing that's uh you know plaguing all these players leading to all these positive tests. But now over the last basically seventy two hours, they've put, you know, almost a dozen players on that reserve COVID list. So hopefully it stops here. But we know that, you know, uh COVID cannot be contained, you know, uh you can you can't you can't stop it. You can only hope to contain it, I guess, uh is the old saying. And so we'll just sort of see if if the Falcons, you know, if more players go on the list and I think that's going to be a much more of a problem for this team to deal with. But I think right now they're, they're approaching their limit, you know, maybe they can deal with like 13 or 14 guys, but once you get past that number, it's going to be a problem. And obviously, you know, there are players that are a little bit more prominent that are going to be a lot harder for this team to replace than some of the guys currently on the roster. For the most part, we're looking at, you know, low level starters and role players for the most part. But you know, if we started getting, you know, players like Grady, Jarrett and AJ Terrell, you know, and you wonder about that D-line room with three players already on the list, you know, whether, whether the close contacts or whatever the case may be, you do wonder about some of those guys. So it, it's going to be interesting to we'll keep you updated as the week unfolds. And if there's more, uh, and, and, you know, no offense to these guys, but bigger names that go on that list, we'll certainly talk about it and how that may wind up impacting this Bills matchup, which we will get into uh, as we continue today's, Uh, Crossover Thursday episode with Joe Marino. But before we get into that, guys, let me plug the ultimate college football playoff preview, which is ongoing on its own feed as part of the Lockdown Podcast Network to get you geared up for this weekend's big college bowl and playoff action. And they're giving you previews of some of the biggest games, giving you betting advice and insight from all the local experts on the Lockdown Podcast Network. And if you're not already subscribed, To that feed, if you were subscribed to the NFL season preview, you're automatically subscribed to that feed. But if you're not, just go search ultimate college football playoff preview 2021 on your preferred podcast platform. It's the holiday season and better line has had you covered all season long and still does with more odds, props and lines as we march towards that college football playoff, as well as the NFL playoffs with a team like the Bills. Poised to potentially clinch a playoff berth this weekend, so BetOnline remains your number one spot for all your sports action. Whether we're talking playoff football, regular season basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. So head to their new updated desktop or mobile website at BetOnline.ag and sign up today. And when you do, use the promo code Locked On. You'll get a fifty. Percent Welcome bonus, which means if you deposit 200 bucks, you get $100 in free money to play with $100 that you can use towards this Falcons bills week 17 matchup where the bills are favored by 14 and a half points. Can the Falcons cover you guys know I have no idea whether or not they can because I'm always wrong feels like a big line. They should be able to cover that. But if I say that, that means they will get blown out by at least 17 points. And if I say there's no chance that they're going to cover it, it's going to wind up being a four point ball game or whatever the case may be. So maybe we'll get some insight later on in the week, but until then make sure you sign up at betonline.ag so that you don't have to wait to take advantage of all the amazing
1: offers available at betonline where the game starts. Joe Marino of Lockdown Bills, joined now by Aaron Freeman, the host of the Lockdown Falcons podcast, here to get us ready for the upcoming game between the Bills and Falcons on Sunday. And Aaron, as I've done some work on this Falcons team in preparation for our conversation today, as well as the game on Sunday, I'm pretty surprised. I mean, this is a team that is in year one of a new head coach and general manager combination. The roster needs work, but. This team is seven and eight, and they're very much alive in the NFC playoff picture entering week 17. And when you study this team, you look at the metrics, they slot pretty poorly in a lot of key areas. And so what is the explanation in terms of the contributing factors that has this team at a respectable record and in position to very much make a run at being the six or seven seed in the NFC when you factor in all of the circumstances surrounding this Atlanta Falcons team?
0: Well, that's been a frequent topic of conversation on on Lockdown Falcons. What is sort of this team's reason for success? I I point to them having a soft schedule. Uh, They have the weakest schedule based off of wins and losses this season uh, so far. Uh, And they've basically been able to, outside of the two division wins that they have, Basically been able to take advantage of some lesser teams, several other teams that you're aware of, uh, Joe, that uh, play in your division. I know Miami has turned things around in their season, but at the point when the Falcons played them, they were really struggling. Obviously, they've gotten wins against the Jets, wins against the Giants, wins against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, and so it's one of those situations where I think the Falcons have taken advantage of some of the soft teams on their schedule and been able to win games and particularly close out those close games, a problem that the Falcons had uh, in previous years under previous regimes in sort of winning those close games. So testament to this new coaching staff for being able to finish much better than the previous regimes have. But when you've seen this team go up against teams like, potentially a team like Buffalo, other quality teams so far this season, they haven't been particularly competitive. And you've sort of – I'm sure you're aware of the various graphics that are floating around there that basically show the Falcons based off of their point differential or, you know, you look at their football outsiders DVOA uh, rankings that they are like basically – one of the worst teams in recent history in certain categories that has won this many games. So I don't want to sit here and say that the Falcons success is based off of luck, but I think they have gotten the benefit of, you know, having a lucky draw facing some of these teams that are struggling a little bit more than they have and been able to take advantage and pad uh, their win total this year.
1: Uh, wins are wins. You know, I, I certainly understand where you're coming from with the, with the schedule, but for a coaching staff in year one to be able to go out there and try to implement this culture and this vision moving forward, it's gotta be such a big benefit to be able to win some football games and exceed some of those expectations to really help drive home the messaging and you know, lead this organization moving forward, which leads me to the next question that I have for you, which is about Arthur Smith, a, a, the new head coach in Atlanta, 15 games into his tenure. He was a big time candidate, a lot of, a lot of, Places wanted to interview him, and Atlanta landed this guy, a hotshot coordinator from Tennessee. What stands out to you most in terms of what you've learned about Arthur Smith through 15 games as the head coach of the Falcons?
0: I think some of the things that we've learned about Arthur Smith is there's certain elements of his offense that are positives. There's certain elements that haven't necessarily grown or, or showcased themselves to be where we want them to be. He wants to be a physical run you know, balanced or let's say balanced offense. And unfortunately, the Falcons have not been able to really achieve that. They've been much better running the football over the last month than they were earlier in the season. So you're starting to see this offense look a little bit more like the style of offense that I think Arthur Smith wants to achieve. You've seen some success with some players like Cordero Patterson having a, a breakout year, Kyle Pitts obviously having a historic season. Uh, rookie season for a tight end. And you're also seeing players like Russell Gage really uh, come on strong over the last four to six weeks since he's had to sort of step in to that number one receiver role in lieu of Calvin Ridley stepping away from the game to deal with his mental health issues. So there are positives when it comes to Arthur Smith and what we've seen from this offense, but you're, you're still wanting a little bit more Uh, Matt Ryan is not necessarily having a productive year. We've seen some flashes from him earlier in the season Uh, you know, whether that's a coincidence that they happen to be games uh, or at least most of those games happen to be games that Calvin Ridley uh, was playing in. You know, you wonder how much of a factor that is in in losing Julio Jones, how much of a factor that is in terms of Matt Ryan, taking a step back this year, you were hoping to see, you know, Matt Ryan have this kind of renaissance to his career after a couple of lackluster seasons under you know the, the final years of Dan Quinn, uh, similar to what Arthur Smith was able to do with Ryan Tannehill. You're not really getting that. So you kind of hope that next year, once he's a little bit more comfortable in the offense, and we've seen Matt Ryan with new offensive coordinators, whether that was Kyle Shanahan, Dirk Cutter or, or Steve Sarkeesian kind of struggle in year one with a new offensive coordinator, and then really, put it on in year two. So that's kind of what you're hoping. You're hoping, you know, next year with Calvin Ridley coming back, hopefully, uh, and Kyle Pitts, you know, being even better in year two than he was in year one. uh, In addition to if you can, you know, really solve this issue that the Falcons have in the trenches and, you know, building up that ground game, that a lot of the things that Arthur Smith wants to implement could start to come together for them in 2022. But we just haven't necessarily seen that consistently in 2021.
1: Seems like a lot of the talk, regarding Atlanta this week as the Bills prepare to take them on are two of these very unique talents that they have on offense you mentioned both of them already Cordero Patterson who's this do everything type player that's so dangerous with the ball in his hands and then Kyle Pitts who is just an alien right a very special talent he's having a big year he's probably going to top a thousand yards for the season on Sunday which is an extremely rare feat for a rookie tight end and so We'd love to hear more from you about how Atlanta weaponizes these players and, you know, what's making them so unique and and so productive this year. Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily
0: super creative ways of of finding ways to get them the ball. It's just, you know, get them the football and let them cook. You know, specifically with Cordero Patterson, a lot of his production, particularly in the passing game, is, you know, checkdowns, uh, a hitch route, a screen here. Just get him the football and let him – do the things that we've seen him do many, many times over the years as a kick returner when he has the ball in his hand and make plays after the catch. You're also seeing him uh, be split out wide from time to time and, and running some fade balls, some deep routes and whatnot, and he's made plays uh, showing showcasing those wide receiver skills that made him one of the top picks in that, what, 2013 draft class way back in the day. Uh, so, it, you know, for Patterson, a lot of it is just – being able to utilize him not only as a running back, but also in the slot and out wide. Uh, and getting him opportunities and getting him reps that he wasn't necessarily getting with other teams in previous stops. And with Kyle Pitts, as you say, you know, he's a unicorn. A lot of his snaps have come as a more as a wide receiver than a true inline tight end with about 80% of his snaps coming from the slot or being split out wide uh, on passing downs. And so essentially he's functioning as a six foot six, 230 plus pound slot receiver. Uh, And, you know, with his skill set, I know you're well aware of this, Joe, given your, you know, extensive knowledge of the draft with what you do with the draft network, et cetera, uh, and in the draft dudes podcast, and you just know how gifted a a player he is. And you've seen that show up time and time again uh, this year with you know, these spectacular highlight grabs that you sit here and say, it's incredible. You made a, a big play against the Lions last week on a go ball uh, where he just basically reached out with one hand and and made this, you know, really easy catch over the shoulder. And he's done that a number of times and you just see the the talent jump off the screen from time to time. The only real knock on, on Kyle Pitts uh, right now is he's just not consistently seeing that each and every week, but you're getting these flashes. And, you know, that comes with the territory of being a rookie tight end, you know, this that, you know, that's a position that takes some time for guys to transition to the league. So it's not a surprise that Kyle Pitts it can be a little bit up and down and there can be maybe a stretch of a game where he's not necessarily impacting, you know, down in and down out or whatever the case may be. And that's one of the expectations that you're hoping in year two, you'll start to see that more consistently. So the, the, the flashes and the talent jump off the screen. Uh, just in the future, we hope to see that talent jump off the screen, you know, every single down, every single series, every single week.
1: Aaron, I want to ask you about the defense, but before I get there, I I want to get one more in about the offense because I was a little surprised learning that Matt Ryan is not working the ball down the field at all. I mean, only 7% of his attempts are 20-plus yards down the field, which is by far the lowest in the NFL. But when he does push the ball down the field, he's having a ton of success, the best passer rating in the NFL, 121.7 on passes that are aimed 20 plus yards down the field and the third highest completion percentage. So they're not doing it a lot, but it's certainly working when they are. I'm guessing you're going to tell me it's protection issues because I know that that's been a, been an issue for Atlanta all year long, but certainly something that is part of Matt Ryan's toolbox. They're just not using it.
0: Yeah, you nailed it. It's, It's mostly related to the protection Um, and the offensive line has been, you know, the the kindest way of saying it is inconsistent uh, when it comes to holding up. And that has led a lot more to the Falcons, you know, working the short and intermediate portion of the field. But as you say, when Matt Ryan has been able to push the ball down the field, he has been very effective this year in large part due to being able to target playmakers like Kyle Pitts and, and Cordero Patterson and you're still getting you know production from players like Alameda Zacchaeus and Russell Gage who aren't guys that are you know traditionally known to be vertical threats but they have made a number of plays down the field this year uh, for their quarterback and so you know early in the season Matt Ryan was kind of struggling pushing the ball down the field in part due to the protection issues and being a little bit off with his accuracy and underthrowing players but you know basically since like week four or week five and on He's been, you know, lights out. Anytime he does push the ball down the field, uh, you know, it's making plays. The Falcons picked up a player in Marvin Hall, uh, and I've been pushing for the last couple of months to get more of that with Marvin Hall, who can be that vertical speed threat. Uh, Unfortunately, we haven't seen enough of him. So, uh, you know, time, the clock is ticking on on whether or not we're going to see this Falcons offense really open itself up and, and be this more explosive offense. But I think they've been limited in a lot of ways because of their concerns about the protection. And it really hasn't. You know, those concerns are legitimate because it hasn't necessarily held up at all, uh, particularly over the last you know month or so of the season.
1: You mentioned Alameda Zaccheaus, one of my favorite players I-, I scouted out of Virginia. Not a big name or anything like that, but he was a joy to watch. And I'm glad to see him getting an opportunity down there in Atlanta. Let's do talk about the defense. And before I ask you about the struggles, let's do acknowledge A.J. Terrell, who's having a phenomenal season, a breakout star in the NFL this year. I'll uh, go ahead and say it. He's a Pro Bowl snub, absolutely deserved to be in there, over a guy in that division in Marshawn Lattimore who has given up a ton of touchdowns and a ton of production. Terrell's not given up anything, and he is a a budding star, and I I can't wait to watch that matchup against Stephon Diggs, and they got a good one down there. He's a player that I really enjoyed out of Clemson. Now, the rest of the defense has really been a a disappointment, And, and Dean Pease, we know he's been one of the top defensive coordinators in the game for a long time, some really great defenses with the Patriots, with Baltimore, of course, uh, at, with Tennessee. And now he's in Atlanta, and, and this doesn't look like a Dean Pease defense in terms of where they typically rank with metrics. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback. And they're not getting any pressure. They're, they're the least uh, – the lowest in the NFL in terms of pressure rate, the fewest sacks, the fewest percent of dropbacks that end in a sack, the, the third downs, they're, they're not getting stops on third downs. And like we talked about, the schedule. This this blew my mind. I mean, we talked about that schedule. Not a lot of great quarterbacks on the schedule, and they're conceding a passer rating of 100.3 against this defense. And so what what's going on here? I know they're undermanned. There's it's a work in progress, but I, I I'm surprised to see it being this poor.
0: Yeah, I think their their biggest issue is as you mentioned, their inability to get pressure on the quarterback. And and that's allowing even lesser quarterbacks to be relatively efficient. You know, Tim Boyle didn't have a great game this past week, but he had a good enough game to have that Lions team in a position, you know, going into the, basically the, the final play of the game, you know, before he threw a game ceiling interception uh, to potentially win that game. And and Tim Boyle, no offense to him, is not necessarily a high-level quarterback. And a lot of that is owed to the fact that the Falcons really could not get reliable pressure on him. They haven't really been able to get reliable pressure on anybody else. So guys basically have all day to sit back there and and throw the football. Uh, And when we've seen this Falcon team go up against, you know, receiving cores that have, uh, you know, Playmakers across the board like Dallas, like Tampa Bay, they have really struggled. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how they fare against this Bills uh, receiver room, particularly, you know, with Stephon Diggs. Uh, You know, Cole Beasley's back now off the COVID list and, uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is not necessarily having the production that he had earlier in the season, but certainly a guy uh, that can make a number of plays. And that's going to be difficult for the Falcons in this particular matchup, uh, uh, given that, you know, they may be without their other starting cornerback and Fabian Moreau is dealing with a rib injury and they're potentially down their main nickel cornerback and Richie Grant, who's now on the COVID list, uh, their second round pick. So it's going to be a difficult matchup for the Falcons on the back end. And the other factor that hurts this defense is they haven't really been that effective at stopping the run. So it's really been hard for the Falcons to make teams play a different style of offense than what they want to do. If a team wants to come in here and run the football down the Falcon's throat, by and large, most for the most part this season, outside of a handful of games, they teams have been successfully able to do that. And if a team basically wants to drop back, you know, 40, 50 times and and pitch it all around the yard because the Falcons can't get pressure on the quarterback. They teams can generally be able to do that. We saw Tampa Bay do that a couple of weeks ago. Uh so it, it's been a work in progress for this defense. They're gonna have to work to get more talent, particularly up front and, and particularly on the back end, um, to really make this defense work for Dean moving forward. But uh, you know, I think there has been strides made over the last four to six weeks. Um, you're seeing a little bit of improvement. So that's at least owing that, you know. This team is is growing under Dean Pease, and the, the hope is that that's something that can carry over in 2022.
1: Obviously, a big shift in scheme, like the style of defense that Dan Quinn ran compared to what we're seeing from Dean Pease. So, a uh, big shift there for the Falcons defense compared to what we've seen over the last several years. Last one I have for you. I mean, this is a tough assignment for Atlanta 14 and a half point road underdogs uh, coming to Buffalo. It's going to be chilly. It's going to be Potentially windy, maybe even some snow in the forecast. What's the path like if Atlanta is going to come in and, and steal one? What has to go right? What What are those X factors?
0: Well, I don't think weather is going to play into the Falcons' favor because they're you know they're a classic dome team, um, and they're not necessarily a team known for that sort of physical element that can do what the Patriots did a couple of weeks against the Bills and just pound the ball down their throat. Although that, again, I think that's what Arthur Smith would love to want to do, but they haven't necessarily been that team. So I think really what the thing that plays for the Falcons favor is that they're going to have to get to a fast start this season. They haven't consistently done that. They only scored one opening drive touchdown all season long. And it came a couple of weeks ago against the bills. They're really good at getting field goals, but they need to come out here and really punch this bills team in the mouth early on. And then I think you kind of got to get a lot of help from the bills. You got to get Josh Allen being the bad version of Josh Allen where he's being a little reckless and playing fast and loose and throwing, you know, trying to make throws that his arm talent can make, but he probably shouldn't make. You need that for Josh Allen. You need kind of what he did a little bit against the Colts team a little bit earlier in the season. You need a kind of a bad performance like you saw a little bit from him in that Jacksonville game uh, to really help. I, I think if the Falcons probably won't be able to outplay the Bills for four quarters, they can probably get him for two. And if those quarters are like the first quarter and the fourth quarter, I think the Falcons may have a chance here uh to, to be in a position and force the Bills to have to play from behind uh, you know, after a, a fast start, get some turnovers, maybe get a special teams uh impact play from Cordero Patterson uh in, in terms of the kickoff game. He hasn't scored one yet, and maybe this is the week that he gets one. So I, I think a lot of things have to go in the Falcons' favor. They basically have to play up to their potential, which they haven't consistently done this season. But if they can do that, get off to a fast start, uh, hold on for dear life for the next couple of quarters, and then make a couple of plays in the fourth quarter, maybe they got a shot uh, to overcome this big spread. So we're continuing crossover Thursday here with myself, Aaron Freeman of Locked on Falcons and Joe Marino uh, of Locked on Bills and Joe, we're talking about this week 17 matchup. It's still weird saying that given uh, the 17 game schedule. Um, But, you know, to be honest with you, while I expect and hope this Falcon team will be competitive, my interest in this Bills team is not necessarily in terms of where they're going to be this Sunday. It's going to be where they're potentially going to be in January and possibly in February. And it's reminiscent to the crossover I did with the locked on Chiefs guys in the penultimate game last year, asking them questions about what they feel about this Bills team uh moving forward, or that Chiefs team in terms of their Super Bowl capability. So my first question to you, Joe, is you know, I I understand that this is a win in the Bills clinch
1: a playoff berth. Is that correct? It's close. If they win and Baltimore loses, that's the easiest path to clinching a playoff spot. And there's you know, a lot of other different scenarios, but it's certainly a possibility for this week. Okay.
0: Um, And if they wind up clinching, obviously they have the goal of, of being a team that can go toe to toe with this chiefs team. That's kind of how they've built their team. I'm curious looking at this bills team. And I asked a similar question to the chiefs guys a year ago, looking at that offensive line and struggles that they were dealing with. Do you feel like this offensive line is potentially an Achilles heel to Prevent the Bills from reaching their goals, you know, which is beyond this week and into January?
1: Well, I I don't think you look at the Bills' offensive line and say it's one of the best units in the game. It's probably an average unit, and they've had a lot of issues in terms of health guys getting injured, COVID issues, guys moving around. I mean, last week when Ike Bucker, their left guard, got injured, he, he ruptured his Achilles they switched four different spots. I mean, it's been that type of year where guys are flopping around like crazy, and I think that's hurt them from being able to gel as a unit. We know offensive line's all about chemistry and playing together as one unit, and so that's hard to do when guys are moving around so much. And so I think that's really inhibited their ability to grow as an offensive line, but I think if they can be average, you know, I think that's what they're looking for. They're coming off their best performance of the year against New England, uh, which was very unexpected given the dynamics that we just discussed. Uh, but if they like this group that finished that game, you know that could be something for them to build on and and carry them. So we're not talking about one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. We're not talking about one of the worst. I think they're average, and average is probably okay given where this team is on defense and what they have at quarterback.
0: Now you you talk about what they have at quarterback. Josh Allen's been you know one of the top quarterbacks. In the league this year, Uh, you know, he had an MVP type of season a year ago. I kind of expected a little bit of regression from him this season. I I think technically he is not as good as he was a year ago, but still uh, one of the top quarterbacks, one of the top five to six quarterbacks in the league this year. So certainly not any type of regression that is really hurting this team. Uh, One of the things I noticed about the Bills a year ago was they tend to be very reliant on Josh Allen's arm to really put up their offense are they a little bit more of a balanced offense this year and you know i see a lot of their rushing production comes from alan running himself do you think that's a concern for this team moving forward and as it applies to this falcon game do you expect this bills team to come out here and and sling it all around the yard or you know maybe weather permitting they tend to be a little bit more conservative and try to to you know play a little bit more of a run first or balanced offensive attack on Sunday.
1: Well, yeah, Josh Allen's having another good season. Became the uh, first quarterback in NFL history last week to top 4000 yards passing in a season, 30 passing touchdowns and 600 rushing yards and so uh the production just continues to be there for Josh Allen and you know it's going to be interesting to see how they attack this game because they've been choosy when they run Josh Allen. Obviously the production's there, he leads the NFL in yards per rush. And so he takes advantage of his opportunities. But there's been games this year where it hasn't been a big part of the game plan. And so my thought is with all of the receivers coming back, they're going to have the full complement in Steph Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis and, of course, Isaiah McKenzie, who was unbelievable against the Patriots last week. Dawson Knox at tight ends really emerged. They've gotten the running backs involved in the passing game more of late. I'm guessing this is going to be the type of game that they're going to rely on Josh Allen to throw the football a lot more than run it in terms of kind of preserving some of those hits. Now, if if a play needs to be made running the football, Josh Allen's going to do it right. He's going to put the ball in his hands. He's going to put it on the line and he's going to try to make a play. So that will still be there. But I go back to the game I watched against Carolina where it was a lot more. Reluctance to run Josh Allen. There really wasn't any design runs, and just let him throw the football. I think that's what we're going to see this week. Um, but we've seen the Bills tap into that running ability of Josh Allen when they need to. Um, not as many designed runs as you may expect. It's a lot of picking his spots to take off with the football on on dropbacks. But you know they certainly have that wrinkle of the QB power game, and it's p- pretty effective whenever they tap into it.
0: Yeah, the Falcons have not been particularly great defending mobile quarterbacks this season. They've gotten a lot of practice. Uh, going up against guys like Cam Newton and Jalen Hurts and, and several others. I mean, Daniel Jones, yeah. you know, made some plays. Sam Darnold made some plays against him. So that that's telling you that those guys aren't quite on the Josh Allen level. So hopefully they have taken all of what they've learned by getting gashed by the, the Sam Donalds of the world, and they will apply it this Sunday to slow down Josh Allen when he does decide to tuck it and run. But we'll just sort of have to see how that plays. Switching to the Bills defense, um, you know, the thing I notice is that they're not a team that gets a ton of sacks, but they tend to get a lot of pressure and it's, it doesn't seem they have one guy. It's, you know, four or five, six guys deep that can really step in and really give them a deep rotation of players. Obviously, the offensive line, as we discussed, is an Achilles heel for the Falcons. Looking at this Bill's defense, do you feel like this pass rush is going to be the unit that not only needs, you know, obviously on Sunday to take advantage of a weak Falcons offensive line, but when they get into January, is this going to be a defense that can be spearheaded by a a top-notch pass
1: rush? The pass rush in Buffalo is so interesting because you mentioned they're really good at getting pressure, the number one pressure rate in the NFL in terms of passing attempts that they face and getting pressure on the quarterback, but they don't necessarily get a lot of sacks. They're pretty middle of the pack when it comes to sacks, and so it's this really unique scheme that they run. They rotate a ton of defensive linemen like you mentioned. They'll play nine, ten guys, uh, you know, twenty plus percent of the snaps and, and they always have fresh bodies in there. And, you know, it's really a scheme thing. It's what the defense is designed to do. We love sacks. They matter a ton, but pressure matters a lot as well. I mean, it really affects quarterback play. You can get pressure and it leads to incompletions. That's a good play. Pressure that leads to a turnover. The Bills are very good at that. And so It's interesting because the pressure that they get doesn't always lead to a sack, but it does lead to a lot of incompletions. It does lead to uh, turnovers, and those are two things that are are real strengths of this Bills defense. And so it's a unique situation because you normally measure the effectiveness of a pass rush by how many sacks they get, and I think the Bills' numbers tell a completely different story. Now, when you talk about how it's going to impact the team moving forward, I think that the Bills would love to have a true difference maker, a guy that, all right, it's a long and late down. You got to have it. You know, a Miles Garrett, a Bosa, uh, somebody that can just absolutely take over a football game. They don't have that guy. Maybe Ed Oliver can be that. Maybe Greg Rousseau, some of these other defensive ends they've drafted recently with day two picks, like maybe, but they don't have that player right now. And so they kind of have to settle for the pressure and what the results of that are, but they're certainly missing that true game wrecker as part of that very deep and, and talented defensive line rotation, but missing that elite superstar take over a game change the way you have to play them type of guy
0: when I ask you about this Bill's defense, is there a weakness that you're sitting here going yourself as you're more familiar with this Bill's team that you're a little worried about in this Falcons matchup that maybe the Falcons can exploit you know how do they deal against a, a player like Kyle Pitts? Is there you know something that is a weakness in this bill's defense that the Falcons can
1: exploit? It's funny you mentioned Kyle Pitts. If we call him a tight end, uh, is he a, is he a slot? It's such an interesting conversation because the Bills are the second number two in the NFL in terms of fewest receptions allowed to tight ends this year. But if we are we calling Kyle Pitts a tight end? You know, I mean, I think I think that's kind of where that gets complicated because he's such a mismatch. And I mean, there's no easy answer on how they're going to defend him. I, I don't care who you have. I mean, Jeremy Chin might be the guy in the NFL that has the best chance of lining up against him, and he plays for Carolina. So um, I'll be interested in seeing how the Bills match up with him. It'll be a lot of Matt Milano. I'm sure they'll want to bracket him with their really good safeties, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Um, Taron Johnson, their slot corner is probably going to get a lot of reps against him. So it'll be an all of the above type thing. We've seen them when they went up against DK Metcalf a few years ago, and um, they they used Saran Neal, who's this big nickel type defender, special teamer they just had him jam him on the line of scrimmage and then play another player over top of them. They've gotten creative when they've had to go up against these unicorns. So I'll be interested in see how they how they handle him, but as far as a weakness with the Bills defense, it's definitely the run defense. They give up yards on the ground. They've had some games this year where um against the Colts, you, you go back to the Patriots game. There's been a few games this year where the run defense has really let them down and the Bills have a tendency to not necessarily get blown off the ball. It's just they overrun plays a lot of times. And when you talk about a dynamic talent like Cordero Patterson and what he can do with cutback opportunities and how this guy sees the field, yeah, I mean, that's something that that should definitely make the Bills defense nervous and something that they'll have to account for. And so sometimes that defense will split, they're 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 known to give up some explosive runs. And so if I'm Atlanta, I'm gonna really tap into that and stress how they're going to choose to defend Kyle Pitts and see if you can work those two things together. you got a good veteran quarterback and Matt Ryan that, you know, for all the pressure he's faced this year, he's handling it pretty well, you know, just based on what he is as a quarterback, not a very mobile guy, but, you know, not a guy that his pressure rates, and you look at those splits compared to when he's pressured versus when he's kept clean, I mean, he holds his own. And so you kind of tap into that. Just don't beat yourself. Stay committed to the run game tap into those unicorns and Patterson and and and, Pitts and and see if you can stress a really good Bills defense. But um, if there's something that the Bills struggle with, it is giving up those explosive plays on the ground.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be potentially a formula for the Falcons, given the concerns that they have with their ability to protect Matt Ryan. And so if they can run the football effectively, that's going to be a way that they can sort of mitigate that uh, moving forward. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, you know, I I don't have a, a ton of confidence given where the Falcons have been against some of these better teams, but you know, as as you know, Joe, any given Sunday, this could be the week where it all comes together for the Falcons, uh, and they really come out here and and surprise me at least. Uh, you know, maybe not necessarily you. Uh, and and play at a really high level, and we'll see what happens on Sunday in this Week 16 matchup between the Falcons and bills. That's going to do it for us here on crossover Thursday. And as we always do have recommendations for your second listen, because we love it when you make uh locked on bills and locked on Falcons, your first listen. And of course, one of those recommendations is the locked on Bets podcast to get you guys geared up. If you feel a certain type of way about this 14 and a half, point spread handicapping expert Lee Sterling on the lockdown bets podcast may have some advice for you for this bills matchup, as well as mini matchups in the bowl season, as well as the upcoming Sunday game. So check out the lockdown bets podcast free and available on the same platforms that you find locked on bills and locked on Falcons. So guys, that's going to do it for us here on today's crossover Thursday. Tomorrow, we will do a Q and a leftover mailbag episode uh where there are a couple of questions that you, I think there's one or two that are from like two weeks ago that I didn't get the chance to answer, but still remain somewhat topical this week that I'll be able to get. Uh, I think one is about Kyle Pitts and why he hasn't gotten going. And obviously he's coming off a big game against the lions. And so it becomes a little bit topical. So we'll get into that on tomorrow's episode. We'll give you any updates that we may need to have to have in terms of the Falcons COVID reserve list or any other things, we'll be monitoring Fabian Moreau's status because that's going to be probably the biggest potential blow this week uh, beyond these COVID um, players um, if he's missing the lineup. And that may mean that Kendall Sheffield will finally get his first action on defense this season, uh, which we have not seen him. He's been primarily or solely exclusively a special teams guy. So we'll see how that unfolds. And that can be all topics that we can get to. On tomorrow's episode, I've already given you recommendations for lockdown bets. Make sure you check out the ultimate college football playoff preview. And, of course, don't wait to check out Lockdown Bulldogs, Lockdown Hawks, Lockdown Braves. They got you covered on all the various things going on in Atlanta sports. And if you want to send in your questions to be answered on tomorrow's episode, you can do so on Twitter or Facebook via at Lockdown Falcons. Or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at Mail.com. Or you can leave a comment right here on the Locked on Falcons YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe when you leave that comment so that I know that you're really passionate about getting your question answered on a future episode. So that's going to do it for us here on today's Crossover Thursday. guys. I want to thank Joe Marino for joining me and previewing this game. That's it, guys. Appreciate it. Till then.